Hey, Mike. Hey, Michelle. How's it going? I was actually wondering if you're going to show up today. I'd like to begin by asking you a few questions about how this whole mess got started. Do you remember seeing him for the first time? Yeah. You guys here on vacation? Certainly are. Welcome to the end of the world. <laughs> I, I pleaded with you not to do this today, but... Um, this is the first I, time you've ever tried to say, let's bail on a podcast. <laughs> I started to come on today and say, <laughs> I'm sick. I'm sick. I'm calling in sick. But... So you didn't like this episode, Michelle? <sighs> no, I didn't like the episode. I think the show has jumped the shark. I mean, so completely jumped the shark. And I didn't just dislike the episode. This episode may have ruined the whole show for me. Seriously, like for seasons of stuff this episode has it's i don't i hate to be you know my disposition's normally so sunny and positive right i think we'll all agree and it <laughs> and i just i i can't find it i can't find that today no michelle you yesterday. are you are probably the nicest person i know in the world Seriously. (laughs) So you are. You're nice. You give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Everybody deserves a happy romantic ending. You know, not that you're candy-coated eyes, but you you really are a nice, truly nice person, and you want nice things to happen to people. So what, what, um, what jumped your shark on this? I don't even know where to start. And thank you, Mike. That is really, that's probably the nicest thing you've ever said to me. I appreciate that. That's I'm touched. Well, I got to say some stuff sometimes. Yeah, occasionally, yeah. Um, It was so overacted. It was so over the top. The timeline pissed me off all over again. Everything about this just annoyed me. And they're going to have the hardest time. You know how I am once I get on a negative roll of something. I mean, and that's a terrible character trait, despite all the nice things you just said. But like like Noah, I mean, Noah just almost cannot make me like him. I cannot imagine what Noah could do to make me like him. And everything about this was so over the top. This has got to be a parody or a book or something, right? It's got to be because it's going to be the only way that I am ever going to be able to look back on this and not like want to retch. Seriously. You haven't already been retching? Pretty much. See, I'm working my way. I'm, this is like not even surprising to me. What do you mean? Oh, really? Yeah, they, that's how this show has been for, I don't know, since whenever, it, I think it jumped the tracks in 2000 and whatever year it was when it's like second season. It was, you know, it's an interesting... Uh, Michelle, i got a bunch of questions for you on this one. Well, let me just say this before we get into the specifics of it, because I am 
you know how I like to follow things through. I like to finish what I start. I'll watch a stupid movie if I've invested, you know, half the time in it, even if it turns stupid. I could literally, after four and a half seasons with four episodes left of this whole series, I could stop watching it right now. I don't even care anymore. I really don't. I'm that annoyed with this. And I hope I feel better next week because y'all, if y'all don't want to hear me just gripe this whole time, you know, I mean, I'm that that's all I got for you today. Well, Michelle, it's okay. I'm in a pretty good mood. I'll be, I'll defend Sarah Treem. Okay, good, good. I've been we watching need... some Mark Cohen movies or Mark Cohen YouTubes on, on his history. And he's the guy that's, that's saying walking in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really, I like that song. I, I still want to do the project where we go through and look at YouTube videos and talk about the history and comments of people and stuff. Absolutely. And actually, Facebook, of all that crap Facebook's involved in, they just did a really cool commercial using that song. Oh, anyway, okay. I haven't seen it. So mm-hmm. it put me in a good, it put me in the mood of like, you got to be, you got to be nicer to people. You got to be, you got to, you know, you got to just find the good in things and be nice to people and. And if they're down, bring them up and, you know. Okay. No, I mean, that's great. It's a great life philosophy. I appreciate that. And I need it. So, So Michelle, I thought if this climate change had swamped Long Island in 2015 instead of 2050 or whenever it started, Noah Mm -hmm. and the Soloways and other summer people would have never gone out there. And uh, Noah would have never met Allison. It would still be a sleepy fishing village with the lobster roll and the Lockhart's running their nice, cozy drug business. And we would have, they, everyone would have been happy. That's Glo- true. If global warming had happened a little earlier. Yep, climate change was too late to save them. So, um, Do we have any other math tripping us up this week, Michelle, on gravestones or birth dates or otherwise? When, when uh, Joni put those glasses on, Okay, we, we so many things that they led us to believe differently. First of all, her dad just died, right? He just died, but the gravestone looks old. He's still being buried out there, even though the grave the graveyard's flooded. There is no um toiled earth where he was buried. I why mean couldn't you know, it, why couldn't it be eight months later? Well, that's not what they said. They said he had just died. They said that. Well, and I mean, I guess it be, could be eight be months. months. I guess. But I mean, how much climate change has happened in the eight months? You know, would you bury somebody in a place there was no electricity? I mean, very little electricity. And the graveyard's flooded. Are you really going to bury somebody there then? Oh, I do also, that all the time, Michelle. Also, when she put those glasses on and she wanted to go back 30 years I was still there talking. I could hear you. Hey, Michelle, did you hear that crazy loud noise? Yeah, I asked if you were blending up like a protein shake to help that you was get my, uh, That was my computer. The, I have two computers on. That one was going crazy. Yeah, that's not good. Um, anyway, you were talking about the time stuff. Yeah, when she went back, you know, she's like, take it back 30 years. And... When you took it back 30 years, it took it back to 2021. Okay, we know he died in 53, but she took it back to 2021. So are they saying that, because that would make our math work, but were they saying that when Allison um, was killed, that it was in the future? 
Yeah, here I am back with my <clears throat> look at things in the happy way, Michelle. Mm-hmm. I should have never brought up this math tripping us up question. Because there's no resolution to this math. There's no way we're going to reconcile it to make it all add up. They're either but they just a- don't even make any sense. Why would they do that? That's annoying. They're either just being sloppy or they're being deliberately obtuse about stuff not adding up and they'll zing us with something at the end. But it's one or the other, so let's just let's just accept it. Yeah, I I think they're trying to make us to make it all work now, they're trying to say that when uh, Allison died, it was 2021. That's what the glasses said. And that helps with the math because we right. were talking about how old Joni was and all that kind of stuff. And they didn't ever give us an age. I mean, they, I mean, a year, as far as I remember. They didn't say, oh, this is 1999 or 2007. But based on where we were in time, anyway, that, that, that's annoying. Yeah. So. It does look like they tried to, but if they messed up, you can't just, you can't just like pretend you'd messed up and try to fix it. No, I mean, acknowledge it and try to fix it. It's a, it's a, and it's not like they did this week by week. They listened to all this feedback. They did this all together, you know, a year ago. So anyway, this is all fruitless for us to try to crank out the numbers so they add up on a nice ledger because they they ain't going to add up that way. How cliche, how predictable. This is like, have you ever read a book and it, (laughs) yeah, okay. And it was good and it was so predictable. And you're like, this cannot end the way. I mean, it just beats you over the head with cliche. Although I got to tell you, the one bright spot in this I liked EJ. You know, Michelle, people in the South say their accents, they accent the first syllable. And people in the rest of the world accent the second syllable. Really? So like it'd be cliche. EJ? Cliche. <laughs> cliche. <laughs> like TV. TV. People in the South say TV. I'm watching some TV. We oh. say we're watching some TV. Okay. Anyway, that's my own. Sorry, it's my own <laughs> critique of the southern accent. You you will notice that I do not critique a lot of the, a lot of the pronunciations because I can't. So. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, Michelle. Uh, also, well, the other thing that was kind of jump sharky is that in three weeks, Joni solves a thirty-year-old crime that nobody else can solve. That. You know, the police have records of all those tide pools and the length of the stupid moon pulling the tides out. And they had all that data at their exposure, at, at their fingertips back when the crime happened, too. Well, especially if it was 2021, right? I mean, if they had said it was like if, if we had went back in time and it was 1940 or something, I whatever they were trying, then you'd go, OK, maybe they didn't have. I don't know when they got that. I mean, I'm, I know they knew about tides in 1940, but I don't know when they got that data to be able to. But I mean, 2020. Yeah. Yeah. They knew and they knew that night. And it doesn't make any sense anyway, because, OK, so are are they telling us that she didn't die in the water? Because it didn't matter if she jumped in it or being through her in it. If you went back and watched that episode, 
he she was she was in, in deep water deep water it showed her going down and it was a you know pitch black night and it was storming and she's going down 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 because i always that's always like a pet peeve of mine and they have to do it i understand but it's like you don't have light under the water like that and it was like from her vision and she could see like you know this this light cuz her eyes were open and that's just always a pet peeve which i did not bring up but but because you have to show you know i mean i understand that but yeah they showed her sink 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 sinking and i was even thinking wow that water's really deep right there so now that's not there yeah, and Fiona Apple even slip into the ocean, not get your hair wet on this wet sand. Right, right. And by right, the Michelle, way, how about some? Jessica, how about some Reddit fun? Oh, okay, great. Uh, is EJ <clears throat> Eddie? Hmm. He's got the E. Uh, and will Eddie, I'm going to call him Eddie now from now on, but will EJ and Joni watch the movie Descent together? EJ's a movie geek. Will they watch the movie together? That would be good. That would, that, that would make this interesting, I suppose. Although is EJ, I mean, he's what, like nine years younger than four. Her. Somebody did the math on Reddit. He's four, like four years younger than Joan. No, he's not. No, he's not. No, he's not. Because it was 10 years that Noah had been gone. Reddit's wrong. 10 years from when... Reddit's uh, wrong. Reddit's now wrong. you're really stirring it up, Michelle. I don't care. It was 10 years when... Um, 10 years had passed. They brought that up several times. 10 years that... Helen and Noah had been separated. And then Sierra had that baby. Ten years have passed. And Joni was seven at the time. I mean, not seven at the time. Yes, she was seven at the time. Wasn't she? Was she seven? She was seven when Eddie was born. Maybe eight. Because remember, she was seven. So anyway, she would have to be seven years older than him. She's 37, 38. So he'd have to be 30. I, I guess that math works. But it was not four years. It was seven to nine years at least. Uh, my other question, this is not really a Reddit question, but just thinking. About, I went, I kind of went back and read my notes about Rashomon. Mm -hmm. So will, mm -hmm. do you think Joni will get ghosty psychic clues from Allison? Yeah, I kind of wondered if that was going on. I, I, because otherwise it makes no sense. Right? Because in the movie Rashomon, we get clarity on the three. Rashomon's the movie about the three-way three, three -way version of events in the woods that all three people see things differently in three different stories. It's essentially the premise of the affair. But right. one of the three versions in Rashomon is a witch channeling a dead guy who gives the clarity to the dead guy's version of his his third of the version comes through this witch slash psychic woman seeing the dead guy's per perception of what happened. So that I thought would be a pretty clever little tie back by Sarah Treem's crew to the movie Rashomon. It would be. And it would also kind of go along with our walkabout kind of mystic-y, mythical-y theme, Right. And it would give some of that. And I think we've had a couple of other instances. They're not coming to mind 
right now, but they could they could do that. This has got to be a movie. It's got to be a movie. Or Michelle, except for the fantastic events and scenes in the episode, that's all I have for a preview of this one. Well, you did good because I have absolutely nothing, nothing. So that's great. But we start off right where we left off last time with Joni in the graveyard. What's up with her attitude? She makes my attitude right now look like a sunny disposition. What's up with that? She's not a shiny little sparkly angel, is she? Who would tolerate that? Who would tolerate that? She is so horrible. Eddie or EJ. Yeah. Why? Why he wants would to any... jump himself some Joni, that's why. But who... Okay, maybe I'm naive, but will men take that from... Or a, a oh, human Michelle. take that? Okay, never mind. Are you, anyway. you really need an answer to that? That is ridiculous. She is so, uh, it's so over the top. She is such a nasty human being. She's nasty. Anyway, so she's calling Paul to check in on the girls while she's just sitting there at her dad's um, gravestone. We find out that Louisa is going to be coming to help Paul with the girls, but she says she'll be home tomorrow too and she'll get to see her mom. And then there's this very random happy guy who smiles at her and, of course, ticks her off. Offers her a ride because evidently the bike tires have deflated in the three minutes she's been at her father's gravesite. These bike tires that were fine, we talked about that before, no one will have ridden this bike. Cole was not riding this bike a year ago, presumably. And no one's ridden it since Allison. He kept it, but the tires were good. But now they, they deflated. So, also, why does Joni have a 78-pound backpack? She has this huge backpack with her. Well, because, now that, I, because she's taken all that equipment her to gather the data. Equipment. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she wants to be taken to Lighthouse Point. He teases her about getting in the car with him, you know, with some random man she doesn't know. And she's really ugly to him about driving a gas-powered car. So over the top, right? Somebody's giving you a lift and you're just, anyway. Well, she was about to start Cole's Jeep, which is gas powered. She wouldn't, she didn't have any repercussions about, or she didn't have any hesitation to do that. That thing would have started, she would have driven it. That's a good point. But did we talk about just the coincidence of Eddie being there while she's there? She's there for like one day out of how many days in a year, <laughs> out of how many years in a century, and he happens to be there? And what's he doing there? I mean, he's looking at a gravestone. I understand that he's a epigeneticist or something, but I mean, does it really help to look at a gravestone, particularly if you've got all that information that we find out soon? Well, unless later that they show he's kind of stalking her and he knows that she's going back and forth to this cemetery and he's hoping to cross paths with her. That's the only explainable. Just coincidence of him being there while she's there. Crazy. So he makes the first movie reference in the car of many, many, many in this episode. And Joni, Joni obviously has never heard of a television and doesn't know what a TV or a movie is. And she's not responding well to his jovialness. 
Yeah, what was that good ear? Talk to my good ear. Was that It's a Wonderful Life? Oh, I didn't think so. I, th- there's there's some rep, and, and that, that part was kind of funny because um, I think he was referencing Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, which he was talking about being an old movie, which in 53 it would have been an old movie, right? Well, maybe Ace Ventura was referencing It's a Wonderful Life. Maybe so. Because he gets his ear hurt when the guy hits him in the ear. I probably saw Pet Detective, Ace Ventura, but it, it's literally been, you know, a, a day or two. So I, I, don't, I didn't remember that, but I did look it up, that reference, and that's what came up for that reference. All right. But, um, so they're driving, and he asks what she's doing at the graveyard, and then he gets, like, super excited that she's a Lockhart. And... He says he studies trauma and how it gets passed down generation to generation and that the Lockharts are steeped in the cyclical tragedy of suicide, murder, drowning, blah, blah, blah. And then he's super excited that it's Joni and he wants to take her to dinner. And she says no like a hundred times. And of course, he's not going to listen to no. And then when he mentions that he interviewed her dad, that gets her attention. And he says that Cole was happy. And she says she never understood what he loved about Montauk, but EJ said that he loved it more as it deteriorated and became the same old fishing village that he loved as a kid. Yeah, his premise with trauma is kind of that if you get trauma injected into your life, you act either with resilience or defeat, and and it's like mysterious Self-destruction, yeah. Which one people choose or which one people respond with. And it was kind of interesting to me. I mean, I don't know anything about that, but it, that's something that I would like to read about if that is actually a thing. Past trauma, like like generational trauma, not your own trauma, but generational trauma, he said makes people um, have more of a, and I'm wildly paraphrasing, makes people have more of a propensity for triggers of trauma. And Cole, Cole had trauma, but he was a pretty happy dude, and she has trauma, and she's pretty negative, right? Right. Well, and Allison had trauma, so Joni was like this perfect storm of generational trauma, and then she had her own trauma with her mother committing suicide and all that. And so was she going to be the black sheep and be the one who became resilient to everything, or was she going to be self-destructive, which is... Evidently more the norm. So Sarah Treem's trying here, Michelle. She got, I mean, getting these people together like this is freaking ridiculous that they're both, they're both at this remote cemetery at the same time. That's mm-hmm. crazy. But the fact that they have this conversation is pretty interesting, right? How do you, like you said, if you, if there was a book on it, you'd be interested in reading it. Or if you could learn more about it, it'd be something interesting to learn about. Just the just the just the logistics of putting them in this forced interaction—it was stupid. And just the way she responds. I mean, I cannot imagine anybody going out of their way to be around this person. I mean, it's so 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 negative. She's getting those samples off the beach, and he's kind of you know rambling on about what he does and what what you and I just talked about that was interesting. And then he looks at her and he's like, you're not interested in what I'm talking in, in my work or whatever, are you? And she goes, not really. 
Well, and Paul's a pretty cool t- dude, too. He's like an upbeat, happy kind of guy, and she's like mated with him. Mm-hmm. So do you think, do you, just your opinion, do you think people find each other like this, or do the negs find the negs in the world and the positive people find positive? They always say opposites attract. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I just think that the negativity in her was so over the top, and it has been from the get-go. You know, I mean, the first time they showed her in this whole series as an adult, she was like taking some peels and then vomiting them up. I mean, just negative, negative, negative. I mean, she is like a miserable person, and I I get all of that. I get the misery and all that. But what I don't get is how all of these people are tolerant tolerant of it. But he starts talking about how he is thinking of buying a house there because the property values are so low. And she essentially calls him stupid. And um, Montauk's made of sand, you dolt. Um, 10 to 20 years, and it's all going to be gone. And he says, well, isn't that your job, to keep the world from drowning? Which, of course, triggers her. Well, what's she going to – that's a stupid statement, too. What's she – you don't stop – she's not going to stop climate. If if climate change is really happening that quickly, scientists aren't going to stop it, right? We're going to have to react to it. We're going to have to move away from the coasts or – She's not going to stop it or prevent it. Well, but that's kind of what they were saying, right? Because she had just gotten back from somewhere when she was talking to her boss last episode or whenever. No, it wasn't last. The one before, I think. And before she was sent to Montauk, and she's like, what they need to do is this. But they don't want to spend the money, so what they're going to do is this. And they're going to just put a gate or something. They were talking about a gate. And then the boss talked about how Montauk's probably going to be a gate, too. So evidently there's stuff they can do, but they're not willing to put forth the, I, I don't know. It just makes me think that people who are this flipped out about climate change think they, like they don't really understand it because they think there's a solution. And it, Well, Mike, also, can we talk about like in the what, the 70s, weren't they talking about the next ice age was right around the corner? That was the big thing. And then in the 80s, it was acid rain. Do you remember? I mean, it's going to burn our skin. We we're going to be able to walk outside when it rained. And now it's global warming. And we're so, you know, the ice age didn't happen. The acid rain didn't happen. And now well, acid rain you know, did happen. You know what I mean. You know, all this stuff happened. All this stuff happens, okay? Here's my opinion. Here's my political, and then I'll shut up. Okay. Uh, The Ice Ages obviously did happen because we have have evidence of rocks that were moved and land that's flat that was plowed flat by glaciers. No, I'm talking about in the 70s, Mike. In the 70s. That's what they were threatening. No, in the 70s there weren't. No, but that's what they were threatening in the 70s. That was the climate catastrophe. First, it was the Ice Age. Of course, the Ice Age happened. Nobody's, I mean, I, you know, assuming that you can believe that stuff, which I, I believe, you know, I don't know what I believe. But anyway, in the 70s, they said that we were headed toward an Ice Age. I mean, it's fact. You can look it up. In the 80s, it was acid rain. Well, we and are, that was We're gonna... always headed for an Ice Age. Climate change is always changing. It's going to change for. It's been changing forever. It will continue to change forever. It's just the question that's political and that's like divisive, where people get on either side of it. Is like, is mankind making these changes, or is it just probably the nature of 
the earth that it goes through changes in climate cycles and I mean we've been we've been able to measure this crap for what 150 years it's 2020 called 2020 you know since the 1890s or whatever whenever we had records of like climate temperature and stuff not that long pretty small window of evidence so but it's just it's just I don't know it's it's become very political that's that's my point well, right, and the thing that I would take more seriously with it is if they there were solutions, and I, I don't want to get real political, but if there were solutions that didn't involve money, and there has to be, right? I mean, there has to be, like, solutions where people weren't wanting to take money. Anyway. Yeah, but they believe the really die-hard <clears throat> in the wall, died-in-the-wall climate propagandists, I'll call them, really believe that they can stop climate change. And I think that's wrong. I think just think that's kind of a naive way to look at nature. Nature's way more powerful than anything humans can do to create it to change or stop it from changing. And certainly not Joni saying, well, you know, in 20 years or this other guy, somebody, whoever said it, thinking that they can stop something in t from 20 years from happening, there's no way. Can't stop it, can't start it. Humans don't have that power. No, but Joni was essentially, when she was talking to her boss, they could stop it. That's that's they, why I'm saying the writers yeah. of this don't get don't understand what they're freaking talking about. <laughs> but my my husband Mike, the reason I even brought any of that up, he said if you don't bring up the 1970s, where they were threatening Ice Age was on the horizon. I mean, there was some article I, I read recently. It was written in 1989 about something that was going to happen if something wasn't affected in 10 years. I don't even remember. I'll send it to you if I can find it. But And it didn't happen. And, um, and, and the catastrophe didn't happen. It's just like this alarmist. All that, Anyway, Mike said, if you don't bring that up, I'm going to crash your podcast uh -oh. and... I know, I know. He's. I asked him if he wanted to do the podcast in place of me, if he wanted to take my, my seat today. And he he at first said, yeah, let me do it. And this was like 10 minutes into the episode. And when we're 30 minutes into the episode, he's like, do I have to finish this? So I, mean, I didn't think he'd be there, although he might would have been better than me today. But anyway, he obviously made the, the comment about saving the world from drowning, which offended her or triggered her or whatever, and she walks away. He follows her. He's, like, chasing after her like a little puppy will and asks her if he offended her, and she's like, you can't offend me. I don't care what you think. And he offers her compliments, saying she's so impressive. She's working so calmly in a place where her mother died, and she's like, what? What? My mother died here? And so she wants to know how he knows, and he says that the police report said that and that the precinct had flooded years ago and they abandoned all the paperwork, and she asked him to take her there. End of that scene. At the precinct, he says that he is in there all the time, once or twice a day for months. And meanwhile, she's like, fascinated with the gross mushrooms growing on the wall because they latch onto dead things and break it down and um, turn it into phosphorus and sulfur and replenish the soil back with it. And mushrooms are the greatest hope for life to continue on this planet once everyone is gone. 
he hands her a file and she reads through it very quickly. She sees pictures of her mom, um, the notes that the detective made in his little book, talking about depression, suicide, psych evaluations, erratic behavior. There's that terrible marked image of where the trauma was on Allison's dead body, and several times they went over water in the lungs. She closes it quickly and tells him he was right. She died at the jetty, and she wants to go home. You have anything about that? Yeah, she just got, I mean, he's got a good hook in her with this stuff about Allison because he has this treasure trove of details. And that she, just the fact that he knew about her mom, which she's interested in, and she's the, she hated Allison for leaving her, but she's starting to see new evidence. So she's very interested in, I'll give her credit for that. At least Joni at least wants to understand this new evidence and maybe, maybe not be set on the truth that she believes, but actually investigate and find the real truth? Well, sure. And I'm going to say this, too. I mean, you know, I think she could certainly have trauma from that and even, like, press, re- repress trauma and trauma that she's never dealt with. Um, that, that would be, like, this horrendous thing. And I think I brought up in one of our previous episodes that, you know, I lived with my great my great-grandparents and my great-grandfather died when I was 10 and he was fine in the morning and like by 11 o'clock they were picking me up from school and it was so freaking he was you know in his early 70s so freaking traumatic and I was like really upset and I was mad at him and I you know it's a horrible thing and it's embarrassing to admit it but I was mad at him for a long time because I felt like he left me and So I can completely get this, she felt like her mom left her, which she brings up later on. I mean, I believe that because I experienced something like that as a child. So that is all really a great story, but then they mix it in with all of this other just BS and over-the-top stuff that makes it seem... Yeah, they're a little bit lost at this point. I mean, look, we (laughs) we had Sasha... Helen and Noah three episodes ago. Then we had Sierra. Mm-hmm. Like, how does the... And now we have Joni. How does Sierra wedged in the middle of all this crap even matter? You know, unless this is really Eddie. Unless it's Eddie, yeah. Which even then... So what if it's Eddie? It's it's Joni finding out about Allison and uh, Sarah Treem's ripple theory that you throw the a pebble in the pond and the the little ripples go way, way away and they still make a change to things, sure. you know, the butterfly wings of things around the world. That is kind of interesting. It is interesting, but it just could be told so much better than, than this over the, it's, it's got to be a movie. This whole thing has to be a movie. Um, Maybe Cole and Allison and Noah and Helen are going to be sitting in a movie theater, their best friends, and they're watching this movie and all the kids are in the back, you know, watching the movie or being babysat when they go home and Gabriel's there. It's got to be a movie because otherwise it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous if it's not. All right, Michelle, I think you might have slightly lost your mind. Okay. But please go on. (laughs) the only one though right okay so back at home raccoons have strewn the garbage everywhere the personal stuff that she put in the garbage in the last episode we watched with her and 
EJ wants to know why she threw away all the pictures of her family. And she goes back and finds a picture of her mom. And she's so ugly. Did you mean to put these in the trash? Well, they're there, aren't they? I mean, geez. It's like. All right, Michelle. So, so Joni's having a bad day here. Joni's had a bad 30 years. You can't pick, you can't pick on, you can't continue to pick on her. Okay. Um, I like, I just like how she has the the cool 2053 electronic lock on the door right next to a piece of cardboard that's in the broken pane of glass. Oh, I know. Like you can't just reach in through the cardboard and undo the latch. I know. I know. Very cool though. Very cool Uh, looking. Yeah. So EJ says it's hard to imagine Allison drowning himself in the or drowning herself in the ocean, and he goes to touch Joni's shoulder, and she's like, "I'm not sleeping with you." I mean, insanity. EJ says that he'll come back tomorrow for his interview, but she tells him she's going to be gone. I'm leaving, and I'm never coming back. He asks if he can take the box of letters, the letters that Cole had saved um, from his dad, and evidently some other stuff. And um, Joni's like. I really don't care. I don't care. So how will how will Helen and Noah get out to Montauk? What will bring them out to Montauk? I guess in the twenty five years past of this, or whatever thirty years past, whatever the whatever those numbers end up being. It's I don't gonna, think Helen and Noah are going to be in Montauk, are no, they? No, you don't think so. No, not not in this Montauk state. Well, I mean, there's clearly no electricity. Not, but when, do you think they will go to Montauk? I think they'll go back. Yes, I think they showed us who Sasha was. He's very selfish, and Helen's not gonna get into that again. She's not gonna do that again. Um, Whitney is obviously gonna come back east because she's. Wait, gonna be you don't think the- you don't think Helen's gonna do Sasha? No, I think Helen saw who he was, Ooh, and that was that's it. A, that's a that's a. Yeah, I think she saw who he was, and I think that's why she was apologizing to Priya. And I think that she's done with Sasha. All right. So, um... This could be... You Maybe you're right. This could be Sasha's stupid movie about all this stuff. Maybe this is... Maybe, well, not Descent. Maybe the rewritten Descent? Or just Descent. Maybe it's just Descent. And wouldn't it be funny if it were Sasha... And Helen sitting there, and Noah was the actor at the end, watching it. They got to do something. Please give us something. Please, if you've done it, and it's and I'm it's not guessing, this. I'm guessing they're not gonna, Michelle. I think this is just gonna peter out. We're gonna get a stupid, sappy like we'll see Sierra, you know, taking Eddie to third grade or something. And nothing, nothing dramatic will tie all this no, crap together. It has to. It has to. I'm literally going to beat my head against a wall like Sierra if it's not. I'm going to need some help because I, I can't. I can't. It's got to do something. Please, they've got to wrap this up better. Okay, Joni is dictating the sad news that Montauk isn't going to be around in five years, and she's knocking back the whatever it was, bourbon or whiskey, whatever she's got. Her earphone thing rings, and it's EJ, and she's able to pinpoint exactly where he is and see a picture of him. 
He's at the front door. He wants her to come out. He's got to show her something. So they're walking on the beach, and she's in awe of the supermoon. He is, too. They discuss how the tide pulls out so far with the supermoon, and he asks why. And she explains, like, most adults don't know that the gravitational pull, I don't know. He's a scientist, but he doesn't know that the gravitational pull of the moon is what causes the tides. But okay. And well, she's also, like, also just the fact that she's so put off by Eddie, and then she's like, oh, sure, I'll go look at whatever you want me to look at in the middle of the freaking night. I'm, I'll get out of bed. Put some right. clothes on and go walk right. with you. And, and, you know, whatever, three hours ago, I wanted you, I thought you were a disgusting human being. Right. If Sarah Treem is so interested in, here I am picking on her again. But if Sarah Treem is so interested in, like, epigeneticists or whatever the hell this guy is and, like, understanding uh-huh. people's emotions and motivations and what, why would Joni, her, her reaction to this request by EJ is so wrong it's so in it's it's unplausible implausible that she would agree to go with him it's all for the sake of this this heavily manipulated drama sure i'll go with you because if i don't go with you we'll never see this tide pool change with my magic glasses right and the thing about it is if they had had a more pleasant interaction before she doesn't have to be um she doesn't have to like him or anything, but if they had just had a, he saw her out there, he offered her a ride or whatever, or much more realistically, if he had seen her pushing her bicycle down the road because the tires were flat when he's driving by on a main road and stopped and said, hey, you need a lift, and she's like, okay, thanks, it's really nice, you know, blah, blah. Then, when he came by, she may feel obligated, right, to go out there. I mean, that would be like a normal reaction, but the, their, anyway, their interaction just... Well, they have to juice it up with this hot romance p- potential. I hate you, so I'm going to sleep with you. They have to juice, they have to spice it up with that. Okay. I can't even argue. I can't even no, argue. No, they it. do. They have to make I it, know. they have to make some sort of like hot sauce on it or it's just stupid. Yeah, but that would have been like telling the story. And this is like ridiculous, over the top. Anyway, he was out there and he realized he didn't want to look at something so beautiful all alone. Aw. He's sorry about her dad dying. He's sorry about how He her could have mom... held the boombox over his head, too. He could... that, Wouldn't that have been good? Because that would have been like another movie reference, right? Yeah. But like, use, go with what you know. Go with what you know works. He should have warned her what was in the file before she opened it. Um, he said I would have he, done the John Belushi ladder up to the window. Well, that's a little creepy. That's uh, Animal she, House. She would, yeah, she would shoot him for that. She's already threatened to stab him if he touched she her. She doesn't have a gun. She doesn't have a handgun, Michelle. True. You're, that's true. And she says it wasn't so bad losing a mother at a young age. It was more stable after she was gone. There was less surprises. So, I mean, what a, you know, cold, obviously repressed thing to say. She's just trying to find the silver lining. Allison wasn't bad to her. 
Allison adored her. If we go back to Allison's interactions with Joni, she loved her. She did leave her a lot, but she loved her. I mean, every interaction that she had with Joni was like, come here, baby. Oh, you're my baby. Oh, you're so good. You're such a good girl. Oh, I love you so much. But it doesn't matter what is. It matters what you think is. I guess. So Joni thinks she's the replacement baby for Gabriel. Which is interesting. That's interesting, but why? And also, this is messed up, too. She tells him that Allison left her dad right before she was born and went with Noah. And that's not what happened. Allison was married to Noah for two years or whatever. That's She didn't leave Cole when she was pregnant with her. I mean, this timeline is just... The story, I mean, I guess she could have just gotten it wrong, but that's a big thing to get wrong. Allison didn't leave Cole when she was almost due with Joni, which is what she said. Yeah, I think it's the writers saying that your perception warps all logic, even even overrules logic. That if you think something is true, you believe you force yourself to believe it's true, even if it warps logic and times don't add up and dates mismatch and all that. I just think that they should tell us that in another way if they want that to be the story. I need to hear that from them in place of just all of these mismatched facts going on. Anyway, she says there was a supermoon the night her mom died, and she knows that because she wanted to go outside and see it, but it was storming and her grandmother wouldn't let her. What's wrong with that statement? I mean... Can you see a supermoon if it's storming? I don't know. Maybe if clouds break up. No. No, it was a storm of the century. There was no... She couldn't see anything. They were talking about the storm. It was the worst storm and all that. It was evidently the beginning of climate change, and it was the worst storm and... Anyway. Well, Michelle, you sound like you were there. Do you, are you uh, looking at it with your magic glasses? <laughs> I want some of those glasses. I really like that. You know, that I would believe is actually a, probably a possible scientific device that you could go back. Because you can kind of go back and, you know, it's not looking at time in the past. It's like recreating what the, what the s- tides would look like. Right. I see that as something potentially possible. Yeah, I do too. And that was really cool. I like that. That's definitely something I liked. Um, But Joni then, she starts thinking and she pulls out her magic glasses. She looks at the weather all night long, several different hours on the night that Allison died. And this is where she explains to EJ that there was a negative storm surge that night. And the water would have been low for several hours as she's saying 10 o'clock midnight, 3 o'clock, 3 a.m., there's no water there, right? Which makes no sense to the story either way, does it? I don't know. I mean... Well, Allison couldn't have killed herself if there's no water to kill herself in. Yes, you can drown in a bathtub, but it's usually like you've fallen and hit your head or something. It's not like... Or you, you know, you pass out and go under the water or, or, you know, you have... I don't know, something to where you're incapacitated. You can't just, like, hold yourself under the water, I wouldn't think, and drown. I mean, I wouldn't think, maybe. But. Well, we, we can construct our, our whole own sequence of events, but Sarah Treem showed us Allison sinking through, like, 
30 feet of water and but that was only one up. story i know so she showed us a different one where everything was good and he left and went home i know so i don't or was still there i guess you could say that allison tried to kill herself went out there or he th- or he he killed her and then threw her on the low tide and the tide came later and she sank later. I mean, she, you could make it whatever you freaking want to make it. Yeah, but that's not what they showed us, you know? And that's true. If they had shown us something like that, if he just went out there and tossed her into the edge up against those rocks and she lay there until the tide came in, that would have been much more horrific, really. Well, aren't, they, aren't, they, aren't they asking us to see things that they didn't show us all the time? I guess, but damn. So you're going to tell us a story in five different ways and then expect us to come up with the real way that it happened, which is completely not the way it happened. I mean, that's just over the top. Okay, I'm going to really try to stop being so negative because I'm getting on my own nerves. Um, so EJ asked her if she thinks the file was wrong. And this is where we start hearing Allison's voice as Ben carried her out to the water. And it's like... It's like you said, Joni's hearing this, or maybe not hearing it, but sensing it. It's the witch. So, the Rashomon yeah, witch. Something. So Joni, again, gets up to run away. EJ follows her, and they kiss. Well, she kisses him. She does. She, she, she grabs him does. and kisses him. The guy, This guy she hates. So they're having sex, and Joni wants to be choked, and he starts to psychoanalyze that, which... I got to admit, I thought it was pretty funny. That was pretty funny. She pushes him off and kicks him out and forces him to leave. And so he was. No, doesn't it? Doesn't it stop? Theory. Doesn't it stop? Because he's like, oh, wait a minute. He, he comes up with some idea that he <laughs> mid sex, which, of course, is totally implausible. A guy having something else on his mind. But he comes up with some idea. But doesn't he stop because <laughs> he has this like revelation? He stops, but he's still there. And then he keeps talking to her well, about that, resilience. That is the total shark jump for me. And then she's like, you know, she pushes him away. To, I don't know. For stopping. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Heath comes up with some brilliant idea. And she's like, what are you, why are you coming up with this now mid-sex? And she gets mad that he stops that's why she pushes him away well yeah and that he's psychoanalyzing her and the you know because she wants to be choked and she's offended okay so anyway then we see Joni on the train she's putting her ring back on she's such a okay i said i'm gonna stop i'm gonna stop she's headed back home she has the same color fingernail polish as i had on when i watched it that i then had to take off because i was so disturbed that i didn't want to be anything like Joni. i'm not even joking we see a pretty cool time lapse shot of people getting on the train and being on the train and moving around while she's sitting there that was pretty cool i like that and then Joni's home with paul and the girls and louisa comes up bringing cuppy cakes and okay, what about how Louisa looked? What'd you I would believe that? it. I mean, she's still, she's still attractive. She's just older. But she's what seventy five? Yeah, some some look at like Jane Fonda, man. She's eighty something. She still looks pretty. Okay, I don't know. I just didn't. I okay. 
Michelle, After you shouldn't objectify women so much. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. It's you know what I was surprised of, though? <clears throat> is I thought that, okay, when later on we see Joni go over to Paul's, or not to Paul's, to uh, Eddie's, mm -hmm. I thought they were both relatively close together because she can go over to him. And I thought that they were both like in New York City or somewhere in the city. But when Louisa comes walking up and Paul's playing with the kids on this ground and it's some ranchy, farmy kind of place, it's not New York City. So how do Paul, how does Joni get over to Paul so quickly when she later connects up with him? Well, right. And where was, you mean Eddie? How'd she get to Eddie? So yeah, quickly? EJ. I'm making fun of Eddie and I'm, miss, yeah. I'm f having a mind meld. Problem <laughs> well, it's with hard. It's hard. This is hard. Okay. <laughs> because he has to be in Montauk, right? And Montauk's hard to get back and forth to. We've seen because it goes, the train tracks are underwater. At well, they had times. to take the train. She took the train to get to this place where she is with Louisa and Paul now. Back home. Back home for right. her isn't Kansas. It's like New York City or a little bit farther inland somewhere. Yeah, I think it's farther inland. But I don't close think enough told to close because when she goes to EJ's, it's like an apartment building with other stuff. It's not a country place. It's, it's I don't know. Do why do I even care about this, Michelle? She well, gets because to, it's consistency of storytelling is why she gets you care. to EJ's too quickly for having to have left the country somewhere to go find him and be able to stay with him. Right. Right. If, if I you mean, were both in Manhattan, it would be plausible. I got to go from the east side to the west side. It's going to take me thirty minutes, but I'll I'll do it. Not go from Pittsburgh to you know Toledo. And where was EJ when he was when he showed up at her door? Had he went all the way home? I mean, he had to have been in Montauk, right? He's not in Philadelphia. And then makes his way out there to show up at her door to show her the moon. Well, he's staying somewhere in Montauk. There's okay, places. but this is the very next day. Well, maybe so he, he has left to still be she, there. Maybe he left when she left. Maybe, but that's not what he was planning on doing because remember he's planning on interviewing her the next day. And this is the next day. This is the very next day. So he wasn't planning on leaving. I guess he could have left and went home. But then how would she even know where he was if he wasn't there? I don't know. Just way too many. Maybe she went back out to Montauk. I don't know. That was yeah, but I mean, with the, that would have taken a while. They showed her going to Montauk on the train, and people getting on, people getting off, and people getting on, people getting off, and time lapse, time lapse, time's passing, and then she gets stopped because the tracks are underwater, and then she's got to like get off at the train station again and make her way somewhere through the tides that are washing up there with. I mean. Whatever, it's crazy. So after dinner, Paul's saying there's too many cupcakes, and Joni says they can take them to school tomorrow, which Paul reminds her tomorrow's Saturday, and she's so non-involved, she doesn't even know what day of the week it is or what the kids are going to be doing. Paul excuses himself, and he kisses her, and she absently, like, wipes off his kiss. Louisa asks her to sit down, and they talk about how she works too much, and Louisa asks her about Montauk, and Joni says the house was a mess, and she feels bad that Cole was left there alone. Louisa says she shouldn't feel guilty. Cole. Cole, her dad. Oh, the house in Montauk? Yes. Okay, I thought we were still at the ranch 
at Joni's We point. are, but Joni was talking to Louisa and says that she felt, and Louisa was asking her about Montauk, and she was telling her that her dad, Cole, was left there alone in the house, and she feels guilty. And Louisa's telling her that she shouldn't feel guilty, that he was so determined, and so is Joni, and Joni's just like him. And then Joni says that she found the shrine, and Louisa's like, to who? You know, you can still tell this still hurts Louisa. And she says it was Allison and that Joni threw it out because she hates looking at her because Allison ruined everything after Allison died and her and, and Louisa and Cole split up. Her childhood was essentially over. Louisa says Allison was troubled, but that Allison loved her. And Joni says she wanted everyone to hurt like she hurt is what she thinks. And then Joni wants to know why they never talked about the night Allison died. And Louisa's like, had he talked to a seven-year-old about suicide? And Louisa says that it's not surprising because Joni's like, are you sure she committed suicide? And she says, yes. And it's not surprising because um, she, based on Allison and her history. And she says, don't be like your dad and waste your life chasing ghosts. Just be happy. Yeah, do you think it's unusual that both Cole and Louisa, even after they separated, that they both, neither of them, got new partners? Because it looks like Louisa never got a new partner either. Yeah, I'm not sure about Louisa. And also, we go into it in a little while where she talks about how they moved to Vermont, her and her dad did. Right. I mean, did did Louisa move there too? I, I, I doubt because it. Well, then how would she have had so much contact? I mean, I mean, I know, I know it's possible and kids can go back and forth and stuff like that. But she talks about the burden of her childhood having to care for her father. And she doesn't mention anything about spending time with Louisa. But it looks to like me like Louisa wanted to stay in touch with Joni a lot more than Joni wanted to stay in touch with Louisa. And maybe Louisa just sent her the birthday gifts and the Christmas cards and from Montauk to Vermont. And, you know, she just kind of stayed in touch with her. And then maybe when Joni got a little bit older, she got a little bit more sensible about being maybe she became a friend of Louisa's or something. And that would play out well with me. Except for the fact that Louisa's speaking Spanish to her, and Joni's understanding it. Well, maybe they had. So, a, how soon did? How soon after Allison died did Louisa and Cole break up? Immediately, in the night. Remember, the very night. And then Cole said, "I'm going to leave with Joni and go on this trip, and you can like essentially move out or stay here or whatever." I mean, that was it. it was that night? That's of right. The she she instead of even going to the funeral, he drove her away somewhere. Right. I don't know, Michelle. Maybe it was one of those accelerated Spanish classes that you can take. Yeah, well, good luck with that. I've been doing it for like two two or three years. And anyway, I'm, of course, I'm old. Okay, then Joni is combing her girl's hair. And what a fit these kids were pitching. Because her mom was yanking her hair out? I guess. And we hear Allison's voice talking in her head in the background. The kids are screaming that all Joni does is hurt them. When's it my turn? When's it my turn? When's it my turn? He's like, and the and the the system is going off. Warning: your garden levels are off. And Allison's talking, and the kids are screaming, and 
that was a nightmare. And the kids are going, all you do is hurt me. All you do is hurt me. Don't touch me. So, Michelle, I need a hippie horticulture update from okay. you. Uh, they're not making those strawberries to eat. They're making those strawberries to purify the oxygen. Right? Well, they're, they've, they are to eat, but they're growing the plants, the hyd- hydroponic plants, to give off oxygen. Yeah. Well, I, I thought think, that was the strawberries doing that. No, I think it's the plant. I don't think it's the fruit. But, yeah, I, th- I think it's just the plant. So, Joni goes to the vertical garden, and all the strawberries have rotten spots in them. She can't get the system to respond. It's doing this horrible noise and everything. Yeah, and like those, my computer did earlier. Yeah. Hey, those strawberries went bad quickly, right? If that's the difference, I mean, it only went off when they were, when she was sitting outside talking to Louisa. That's the first time it went off. And You man, know how it goes, Michelle, when you leave town for a couple of weeks... And your husband's left in charge of things. Maybe it, maybe that thing went off a couple weeks ago. I don't know how you could listen to that, but true. Sorry, Mike. So, <laughs> so she can't get the system to respond to her command. She goes to the board. She turns it off. Then she starts like freaking out, right, and throwing these plants everywhere. And this is where Paul comes in and says he'll get it fixed. He's got somebody coming tomorrow. Joni says it's going to be expensive. Paul says it's just money. And he starts trying to put the plants back. He's really stressed, right? He's really stressed about it. Well, he's stressed that his... I don't think he's stressed about the plants and stuff. I think he's stressed that his his wife is a freaking nut. And he's just now seeing this? Yeah, maybe he is stressed about the plants. But I don't know. I would be stressed that, God, I married a freaking lunatic. True. That's true. But Or maybe he just sees her going off the deep end. But the plants, he's really concerned about the plants because this is where they um, go into it. She's telling him to leave it. It doesn't matter. And he says it does matter. This is what makes our oxygen. And she says that when the time really comes, do you think this is going to help? Um, you know, what are we going to do? Live in the house on nothing but strawberries and air? And they shouldn't try to live past the point that the air is that the outside air is toxic anyway. Uh, The world's becoming uninhabitable. They're waiting for the day they get to watch their kids die. And he's like, you're just tired, honey. You need a good night's sleep. And she's not going to feel better because it's not getting better. And if he can't see that, then she questions his intelligence. And he's like, if you feel like this, why did we adopt these girls? And this is where she goes, it was your idea. It was not my idea. Yeah. And he says she's trying to be hurtful, and he goes to leave, and she calls him back. And we all think she's going to go, I'm sorry, honey, I'm just tired, right? But what she we says is— We all think that? We all meaning you. I did think that. I mean, she called him back. He's like, I'm going to go to bed. I hope you'll come to bed before morning. And, you know, I mean, and he's leaving her in the room with the plants, which I wouldn't trust her to do that, but whatever. But she tells him that— She's been cheating on him for years. Yeah, nice. That's the I I watch Jane die moment. There's nothing good. There's nothing to that except for spite, except for expressing pain to that person. Oh, I know. And he's stunned and he does feel the pain. He tells her to leave. She tries to explain that he's living in the past and monogamy is a 20th century thing. 
and she loves him and but he at least isn't putting up with her bs he so is Michelle, the one person interesting fact sorry to interrupt keep interrupting no, you go ahead um anna paquin is married woman who just turned by in real life she told her husband that she's bi and they live that way now with her being bi happy married bi woman at least according to Wikipedia or whatever I read, variety or, you know, whatever well-known fact source that I use for my intel. Okay. That in real life, she is in a monogamous relationship, but she's bi. So she's, I guess, is that monogamous? No. I mean, unless you're just attracted to women and you don't act on it, I guess that would still be monogamy, right? I don't think you go as far as calling yourself bi publicly if you're just... I mean, I looking at I like looking at flowers, but I don't call myself a botanist. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Do you turn by? I don't know. I guess that was me. That was my words, but okay. She revealed that she's always been. Maybe is a better way to say it. I don't know. Okay. Well, that's different. But I don't know. Okay. So she walks out the door with her backpack and she calls EJ, of course, because he's the only person on earth that'll talk to her and put up with her and ask if she can come over. So he answers the door, makes another movie reference. Um, she asks why he doesn't have family pictures, which is funny considering she just threw all hers out. We find out that his dad died before he was born. That's interesting. Maybe it was Vic. What was Vic? Maybe Vic is his dad. Yeah, I'm just confused about where he is, where she goes to see him. Yeah, I know. I don't know. Let me give you the actual uh, Wikipedia by description, Michelle. Okay. In 2014, Paquin came out as bisexual on Twitter, declaring she is proud to be a happily married bisexual mother. Her husband is the guy she starred with on True Blood. Stephen Moyer. I didn't watch that. I don't think she's very attractive. Anna Paquin. That's funny because um, I asked Mike last night if she was pretty because I couldn't understand why these men were like falling all over themselves. And I didn't. And I don't see the appeal in her. But, you know, I don't always see the appeal in women that sometimes men see the appeal in. So he agreed. He said he didn't think she was pretty. I don't know if part of that is um, because of her attitude in the show, that it's hard to see her. And I don't really know that I've seen her in a lot of other stuff to have a different opinion of her. So Anyway, not that that's even important. but No, it's interesting, though. But he brings her a drink and asks if he should try to kiss her, which, of course, she shoots down. And then he talks about what a good lover he is. And she's like, not really. Um. Then he asks why she's there, and she doesn't respond to that. She just tells him that Cole, her dad, called 911 before he died. He was trying to crawl to his heart meds, and if someone had been there, he would have made it, she asked at his autopsy. He took a while to die because she abandoned him just like Alice did, and he's like, I thought you said Alice died, and she's like, yeah, but she abandoned him for Noah Soloway. Cole married Louisa, but he never loved her, she tells EJ. And when Allison died, he never got over it. 
and they were alone after that. This is where she said they moved to Vermont and had a horse farm. He never had anything to do with women. He put all of his focus on her. And when she went to college, he moved back home, and she was relieved not to have to spend so much time with him. And then she said... I think this is Sarah Treem's message, Michelle. So you have an affair, you have a family and a spouse and you have, and beautiful kids and all that. Then you have an affair, which essentially is reaching out to shiny, beautiful things around you that seem more attractive at the time. But then you realize like, they're not as good as the original thing I had. Like I kind of, I kind of wasted something good. I ruined something good. I'm kind of hoping this is Sarah Treem's message because this is like, this is kind of a good message for people that go out and have affairs. But I think that's the ultimate message he's trying to give us, that these ripples, that you shouldn't ever throw the pebble into the pond. You shouldn't have affairs because this is the problem with them, that while they seem exciting and fun and attractive, that they really don't have the value that you have right in front of you in your palm of your hand already. I mean, completely. I agree with you. You know how I feel about that kind of stuff. I agree with you 100%. I just think the storytelling of it is so obscure. I think it would be neat if we saw maybe Noah getting some comeuppance for what happened. I mean, Allison's obviously already gotten her comeuppance, um, if you would call it that, But which is harsh. Those but, go downance. Okay. But but to see it happen to Cole when he didn't do anything, and I understand it's the ripple effect of the affair and just, you know, your life choices and blah, blah, but. It's brilliant. You know, I got, okay, Sarah Trink. God, she's brilliant for this concept of like how affairs affect people and the different versions of what people see through their own view of how the affair affects them. It just way spun off the rails too far. That's why I thought it was great to begin with. She's trying to keep all these pieces tied together, and it's just the times aren't matching, and the uh, and it's branched out so far. Even if she puts this down as somebody in a movie editing room or sitting in front of a Final Cut computer making edits on a screen, it's still not right. It's still not good. I'm I'm hopeful they'll be able to pull something out. But, yeah, you're right. But it is interesting when you think about it, like what you were saying just a minute ago, even the effect of this affair, the effect that it even had on, like, Priya and Abdul, and Priya not being able to have a relationship with her family anymore because of what Helen did, because Helen was in the relationship with Vic in place of being in the relationship with Noah, and presumably Vic would have been in a different relationship and not had that. So... Just the ripple effect and how many lives it very, very negatively affected. Right. And you think like Joni. Well, Joni's just this cute little sprite of a kid that she's happy. And we always saw Joni as a happy little kid, you know, but she's got these huge later in life burdens that she has to carry that really like screw her up. Probably exaggerated in this drama, but probably there nonetheless for some people that we don't realize at the time this little Joni sprite, happy little girl is going to be damaged by some of this stuff. What was interesting was when she was talking about how Cole's love of her, his, um, how he wrapped his whole, you know, everything. 
was suffocating. Yeah, that was another curveball, huh? That it was too much love. Yeah, and that that had that's why, right? That she wanted to be choked. Is that what they were getting at? That that was the way she felt love was to be suffocated. Am I? I get that's as good a theory as any. Choke me, choke me by suffocating me, and that yeah. makes me feel like I'm loved because that's the only way that I see love. But isn't it kind of? I mean, she's lived 37 years, 38 years, and she's never, you know, grieved or anything. And she's had, like, all this love and support from Louisa and from her dad and from Paul. And she's got these kids, but AJ's been in her life for 48 hours. And he tells her, you know, because she starts freaking out. She felt like she had to make up for what Allison did ever since her dad died. Uh, she feels like she's being possessed by Allison. She can't keep Allison out of her anymore. She wants to kill herself all the time and goes into all these terrible thoughts she has about it. She works so much because she's afraid of what she'll do in her downtime. Um, she's tried not to be her, but it's not working anymore. And then Allison tell or uh EJ tells her this is grief. This is what grief is. And because she's like freaking out and punching the wall. And then he gets her to talk about Cole to help with her grief and release some of it. Nobody else in her life has done this, I guess. And then Joni starts saying all the nice things about her dad and that she wanted him to meet somebody so badly so they could look after him and she didn't have to. And this is where EJ brings in the box. And I thought... <clears throat> is this really how the story's going to go, right? Because we're going to now think that, you know, everybody's going to think that Cole was having a relationship with Ben. I mean, what an ultimate kick in the teeth, as much as Cole hated Ben, right? Well, that gets corrected, though, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But, I mean, I, I wondered for a minute, you know, what a terrible thing. I mean, not because it's a guy, but because it would be Ben, which would, I mean, that would just be, can you imagine what Cole would be thinking if somebody thought Ben was his lover? Well, hope, happily, he doesn't have to worry about that, Michelle. Happily. But Joni thanks him and says she feels better. She gets up to leave. And, of course, she doesn't leave. She attacks him with kisses at the door and then she's able to have regular, meaning non-choking sex, and everybody's happy. So Joni is obviously dreaming, and I thought it was a flashback at first, but it's the scene where Joni's running up to Cole the night that, that he met Ben coming to Allison's house after he'd already seen him in that AA meeting. And Joni sees Ben in her dream. And during this same dream, we have this voiceover of Allison saying the words she was thinking when Ben was carrying her to the water. And so Joni wakes up and sits up. She goes to the box, takes out a picture of Ben. EJ comes in and asks what's going on. And she tells him that Ben wasn't her dad's boyfriend. He was Allison's. And then she says she thinks he killed her. Now, what would make her think that? Well, all these news articles and all this other... Didn't she see a news article about him being mean to a previous woman, a wife, or something? 
She's putting the pieces together on Ben. Right. But I didn't know if maybe she had heard Allison's voice in her dream. I don't so. think so. I think it's just okay. all the all the accumulation of this evidence in her mind and memory now that's adding up to this, whoa, wait a minute, maybe I was wrong about this relationship with Cole, and maybe it was like something else. So that was the end of it. That was the end of season or episode six. Yeah, she looks up after she met, after she dreams of being a little girl again and seeing Ben pass by. She mm-hmm. looks back through the articles and she sees the local man charged with aggravated assault article. Right, but it was because he said somebody did something to his wife or something. I don't know. He claimed he was protecting his wife, but yeah. something happened to the wife. So she's putting the pieces together. All right, Michelle, so uh, the next downs have some bearing on this, right? Probably, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so on the next one, Whitney's asking Noah why he left. I love that. Um, she Because Noah's going to have to answer some of the hard questions. Whitney's an adult, and she's asking him why he left, if he loved Allison more than he loved them. And that's a good question. That's a good, hard question for Noah, and I'm wanting to see his answer to it. We see Noah going up to Louisa after some time has passed, right? Because she's got a different haircut and everything, asking to see Joni. And Louisa says that he can't just waltz in and out of her life when it's convenient for him. So there's that. We see Joni. The answer to that, by the way, it's always no, that you loved her more than you love me. It's just a dalliance. It's just an excitement that it's a shiny thing you pick up. It's a fair, you know? It's no. not it's not worth it. It's not better. It's just something exciting at the time that's a flash in the pan. Yeah, but when you have kids sitting there though, Mike, and you walk away from them to be with somebody else, I think that's actually exactly what you're saying. Mm, I don't think so. I think it's not. I think it's just temporary it's almost temporary insanity. Well, it's maybe your, it is, but then you temporarily l- put more value on your relationship with this woman than you do your children. That doesn't health. mean you love them. More. It doesn't mean you love them at all. It doesn't mean you love them more than the child. The child does may think not? that. I mean, does it not, though? No, I don't think so. Is that not at least what you think? No. You're going to throw away your children's um, sanity and their their stableness? I don't think I don't think shiny? people realize that. I I think people are selfish and they don't realize the ripples that's that's Sarah Tream's message. The you don't realize the shit you're causing. You don't realize the repercussions, the the problems you're stirring up. You just go for something selfish. You think of yourself at that moment. You don't stop loving your kid and oh, I, I've switched my love over to this person now. No, but you are definitely showing, in my view, your child who has the most importance in your life. And look, we can soft soap it any way we want to soft soap it, but actions speak very loud. And if you're if you're showing your kid, I'm going to go be with this person at your detriment, I think it's very fair. Well, most for the people kid. most people affairs are usually attempted to be discreet 
most people, most guys, I'll, we'll just, I'll put it in terms of guys because I'm a guy. If a guy tries to have an affair, he tries to get away with something on the sly. He doesn't just say, all right, this part's over. I'm going to this new chapter. Everything's switched. Now everything's transferred over. Goodbye, old life. I'm moving to this affair. They try to get the, have their cake and eat it too. They sure. try to do both things. So they don't sw- They don't just say, I'm giving up on everything past and moving now to this new phase of life. They try to get away with crap. No, but that's what Noah did. Because Helen found out he had the affair, and she forgave him and wanted him to come home. And he was at home after she knew he had the affair. I mean, he hadn't even left. She wanted him to stay. She wanted him to work on it. And then he left her. He's in love with somebody else. He can't be there with her. Well, sometimes, sometimes that happens, but a lot of times it doesn't. A lot of times people stay married and have 50 affairs. Sure. But that's not what he did. And I but think he, it's didn't, very... he didn't stop loving his kid. He didn't realize, none of us realize. I didn't know this. I, like, I didn't, maybe I did subconsciously, but I didn't realize it affect, like, Joni seemed like she could grow up happy even though her mom was stolen from her through an affair. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think people don't realize what they do, and they just act impulsively. And even if you decide to leave the f- previous wife and get married, you don't hate the child. You don't leave the child behind. You you still try to parent the child. You just realize, you don't realize what effect it has on the child well because it's a very selfish thing to do i understand if you can't live with um with somebody but that's not even what what we're talking about we're talking about leaving somebody for somebody else which now noah has admitted was probably not the best thing to have done and i think it's and look nobody's Whitney didn't say, did you love Allison and hate us? She said, did you love Allison more than you loved us? Because that's who you went with. And I think it's a very legitimate question. Yeah, I don't. I think it's a bad accounting system to ask that. That's, it's, it's like an improper, there's no, there's no answer to that. It's a different type of love. It's a different, it's a different emotional pull to leave your romantic partner for another romantic partner than it is to love your romantic partner versus loving your child. I wish I could remember where I read this. I don't. And it was years and years ago. And I found it to be, in my experience, not my personal experience, but my experience, my life experience to be true, that men love the children of the women they love. Women tend to love their own children. Not that they don't love other children. Nobody's saying that. But that men love the children of the women they love. It's like an extension of the woman. And that's, I've, I've heard that, you know, and I've seen it, like, play out. You know, like, from friends who've gotten divorced and the man will literally just, like, not be a good father anymore to to his own children, but take on the same really good parenting role with the woman that he gets with her children. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I know there's exceptions. I know there is. But for the most part, I think that's true. 
And we even kind of get shown this here with him going to try to find Joni, knowing Joni doesn't even belong to him, when he didn't come around his own kids for so long. So, you know, I don't know. I, I get what you're saying, and I know it's not the same kind of love, but I'm still going to... Well, what you're with. saying makes sense somehow in a kind of a logical way that you it would benefit the dude to be to switch his love over to the new family and leave the old family behind because he gets more benefits from the feminine partner because he loves her kids more, quote unquote, than the old family. I guess that makes some sort of a sense if you try to put it all together. In my experience, that's not how it works. Like I've had, I've had relationships where kids, the kids that I was with with the other person, were really important to me, and I missed even after having left that relationship. That kid was like my feeling towards the kid almost was more powerful than the feeling towards the ex, even though I was going with somebody else. Like, it's hard to lose that feeling for the kid. And that wasn't even my kid. That was like a person that had a kid that I met. You know, it's like yeah. hard, it's hard to just switch that over. But I could see why guys would do that because there's benefits for them to appear to be. I'm in this 100 percent baby with the new the new woman, you know. Yeah, I don't think it's contrived for the most part. I don't feel like it's a contrived thing. I think some men have, and look, I'm no psychologist, so th this is worth what you're paying for it. But I feel like some men have that paternal instinct, and I feel like they really like being a dad. I think they really enjoy that nurturing of a child in a fatherly way. And I think that they truly love the children of the woman that they love. I feel like it's a, an extension of the love that they feel for the woman. Not that it would be cut off if something happens with the woman, but that they truly do feel that. And when they're not in love with their own wives with their, or with their own mothers of their children, that it does affect their relationship a lot of the time, certainly not all of the time and maybe not even most of the time, but a lot of the time that's been things that I have noted over the years that I've seen in a lot of instances. Do you think your love can get used up? Like you've, you've loved somebody in the past and you meet somebody new that you only have so much love to give. And so your love, cause you gotta, you don't, for, you don't get a clean slate and get your mind wiped clean and then, okay, I'm ready for new love. And it's like all 100%, you know, your tank is full of love again and you can spill it out on somebody else. Do you think you can use up your love and only have so much in a lifetime to give to people? I mean, if you're asking for me personally, I don't think so. I wouldn't presume to think about how somebody else would feel. I will say that I do feel like part of the problem in these affair situations, and dang, I don't like even like doing this psychoanalyst stuff. I'm not qualified, but I personally feel like that people, you know, it's real easy to love somebody that you don't have any problems with. 
It's real easy to love somebody that you don't have bills with. It's real easy to find the the, the fun and the good with people that you don't have, um, you know, the obligations and the children and the and and the messy house and the laundry and who's cooking dinner yeah, and what's going to what be I'm done. Saying. That's not what I'm asking. I, no, I, I know. I think your love does get used up. I think your first love is way more powerful than any other. I, I think it. I think it's changed. Changes as you get older. But I don't think you have the same capacity to love as you do when you're younger, when you're older. I think, you're, I think your experiences get depleted a little bit. They deplete your capacity to love. I've never thought of it like that. I will say that I do think that the baggage that you bring along causes maybe so much cynicism that it makes it harder to love with such an innocent love, which may feel more deeper just because it is so innocent and you don't see maybe the red flags or the, or the negativity that you automatically see as you gain life experience. We are way over our heads with this. No, we're not. We're talking about what you... Not over my head at all. I'm telling you what I'm thinking. You're telling me what you're thinking. That's good. Okay. You don't have to be an expert. There's no expert. You're a human. Yeah. You know, you don't have to have credentials for that. Very people. People get wary of like, okay, this happened to me. This is just being human. This happened to me before. I'm never getting married again, no matter what happened, no matter who I fall. I'm never getting married again. Like that's kind of a prejudice that you acquire from previous love you know you just think you expect things you learn we learn how to live and we learn bad things sometimes that i'm i'm gonna expect this thing to happen that might not even happen but i'm gonna expect it because it happened to me before well right i'm not willing to put myself in that situation because that was too painful we automatically go like against things that are painful. I mean, you would be crazy, right? That's why we stop touching a hot stove when we're two, because we learn really early that, that that's a bad, you know, that we experience a lot of pain when we do that. So depending on the choices you make and the pain you get, of course you're going to want to stop doing that. But I think all that's probably individual. That's why I think it's kind of hokey when, like, you have your third wedding and it's like a big gala affair and like, oh, I love this. Is I finally found the one. It's kind of hokey when I, when I see that, both in real life and in stories. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a learned human now and I'm years older than I was when I had my first serious relationship. So this one's different. You know, it's tempered by things. It's not just pure, animalistic, unbridled love. I don't think it can be. I don't think it's possible to be. It's not believable to me that that can happen. But really, should it be that way even the first time? Because, you know, because life and because infallible humans and all that kind of stuff, shouldn't you go into it with a more realistic view of what you're getting into, but you have if, you're human, so you have you're you're not trained by life yet at that point in your life. No, but there's some people who can learn from other people's mistakes, and then there's some people who have to make the mistakes themselves before they're meaningful to them. And 
Right, but you only have a certain volume of experience when you're younger, and when you're older, you, that volume is greater. So you have more input given to you by life handing it to you. Well, absolutely, but kind of like what we're talking about, you know, like our our ancestral trauma. You know, you're you are raised in a home where there was divorce. You know, say not you, but in and and then. Um, Maybe that's going to influence your decisions on whether you ever want to go through something like that because well, you were so traumatized. That's her message. That That's why it's kind of surprising to me that it's not Joni's experience with love. It's her father's experience with love that's so deeply affecting her. That That's educating me or that's new to me in this context. Like, I didn't think of it that way. I thought if Joni saw Louisa and Cole happy together that she'd be a happy little kid, that she wouldn't. You know, that and I know more happened after that, that Cole left Louisa and then he smothered her. And that's probably why she's going through this problem with needing to be strangled during sex. But that's that's probably half of my issue with this show is because it could be there's so many life lessons. And, it, and we've said this a million times. It could be done so well. And then they just don't. And it just makes me. Just I, I, I just don't understand it. My daughter, my oldest daughter, watches this show, too, and she watched it. She didn't watch it till late. She had some stuff going on, and she um, came by yesterday, and she was like, what on earth? She's like, I don't even want to, because we talk about it every week. She's the only person I talk about the episode with, except for my husband when I'm watching it with him. Um, before we podcast, I don't read anything or anything else, but I do talk to her about it just to get her take, see if she feels the same way. And she's like, I don't even want to talk about it. I mean, she was exactly the same way and I hadn't told her anything. So I don't know. All right, Michelle, okay. I forgot well, where wait. we were on the next ones. Don't we see uh, Ben choking Joni? We see Joni going to Ben's house. That's not even Ben, is it? Yeah. That white haired guy's Ben. It's supposed to be Ben, but is it not? The, it's not the same actor, is it? Oh, who cares about that? I don't know. I don't think it's the same actor. Anyway, and Joni's um, not the same Joni when she was a little girl. Well, oh cares? well, that's not the same thing. Louisa was the same. Anyway, he knows who she is. Joni, I've been waiting thirty years for you. I've been expecting you. Um, a fight ensues, and he starts to choke her. Eighty-year-old Ben is choking 30-year-old Joni. And we hear him say, you're just like her. And that's it. All right. Three out seven. We made it through. Seven, eight, nine, ten. Four left, Michelle. Four left. And then we're free. Then we're free. Yes, we are. And I love doing a podcast. I love doing a podcast with you. I will be... And, and, and I'm sad because, I mean, nothing else is coming up for a while that we do. Um... I know you're doing Succession with, um, I'm sorry, Jeannie, Jeannie. I want to say Janine. I know that went right. Um, I almost yeah. gave away something that I was going to do with Jeannie in the podcast. So I, uh, that's why I didn't say her name so quickly. Are, are you well, caught up with it, Michelle? Succession? No, I'm not. I got to catch up. But, but what are you going to do? Well, you want me to ruin it? Yeah. Do you know the characters pretty well? No. Oh, no. Well, then it's not even going to mean anything to you. I'm okay. going to save it. Okay. We'll save it then. I'll catch up. I'll catch up. All right. Yeah. So West Coast Project, Succession, 
the affair, four more episodes in the affair. I think there's two, three. We're doing 208 this week, so it goes to 210. Two or three left in succession. Better Call Saul's coming up pretty soon. I don't know what else is coming up. Fargo's coming up in a couple of years. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. True Detective, Maybe. who knows. What else, Michelle? The slap? I've got hope for the slap still. I know. I know. We're holding out hope for it, right? Maybe they'll redo Rashomon. How about the Breaking Bad movie in a week? A week and a half. Okay, that's pretty cool. Maybe. What do you think? I think it's got a good potential, but I think it'll be I think it'll be like disappointing when it's over. Right? Cuz well, okay, Jesse's here. So what's going to happen after the movie's over? What do you what do you think about Breaking Bad after that movie's over and you've seen that movie and you might find out Jesse's in wherever he is, you know, the 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 badlands of New Mexico or Alaska or whatever. Don't you want to know even more? Doesn't it like keep you wanting more? Yes, I think after a series, um, yes, I agree. I mean, you're so excited to get something, but, I mean, are they going to wrap it up? Like, yeah, we watched a six years worth of Breaking Bad. We're going to get, a, you know, 110 minutes more of it, and then that's it, and then it just stops? Yeah, it's like two more episodes, right? That's it. That's it. They just did the same thing with Downton Abbey, and I still haven't seen the movie. I want, I loved that series. I know it wasn't your thing, but I loved it. And um, now they put the movie out, and I'm obviously going to go see it. But I'm just, you know, I mean, it's I'm I'm not going to be satisfied. <laughs> I'm not going to be satisfied. I'm going to want more. Exactly. We just put, or I just put on my Twitter the thing about Joe, the guy that runs the junkyard where they did all the experiments with the magnet and they crushed the RV yeah. and stuff. Joe's in, Joe's in the movie. That guy was an awesome character in Breaking Bad. Wow, I don't, I barely even remember him. He was the guy when the when when Hank was outside the RV and Jesse and Walt were inside, and he's like. Technically, this is a home. You're not allowed to ask them to come out. This is a domicile. You can't. He was like a. He's a junkyard guy, but he's like a really smart, lawyerly type of guy. He knows right, all the legal right. ins and outs. Junkyard Joe. And he did the magnet when they tested the magnet to pull the computer away from the to ruin the hard drive on the computer. They tested the magnet. <laughs> Very strong magnet. Yeah. Like he was super smart, but he's running a junkyard. Anyway. I believe that. All right, Michelle. So 307 next week. We're almost done. Yeah. Four more after that. Four more with that. And then we'll be free from the affair. We'll be free. Please, please, please make it good. I just want it good. It's already done. You can't do anything about it. Stop. Maybe we, maybe Sarah, I know you listen. Please. If it's not good, please fix it. She's done with it though. It's in the can. Okay. All right, Michelle. See you at 307. See you then. Bye. Bye-bye.